Good evening. Good to see you here this evening. We're continuing in our series. Turn the remote on. Building faith. Continuing our series. And I've managed to stretch it out, not tonight, but one more night. One more night. Next Sunday night, Lord willing, we will finish the book of Nehemiah. Uh, It was just too much. It was either one long sermon tonight or two reasonably linked sermons over time. And so we're going to go for two. How's that? Nehemiah. And uh, we will be in chapter 13. We have learned that God is working in our hearts and lives to build faith in us because we see that through His people and what He asks of them. So tonight we'll be, we'll be in Nehemiah 13 and uh, we'll cover verses 10 through uh, 22. But before we do that, let's bow and ask God to help us as we, as we study the Word tonight. Gracious God, by Your power and by Your mercy... Thank you that we can come and be a part of this gathering, that we may hear from your word. And so we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, that the word will be unfolded and open to our hearts, that we would be changed because of it. Thank you for who you are, for the great God that you are, your awesome power. And Lord, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for the joy that you give us by being your children. We thank you for the purity that you require of us, that we might be more like Christ. So as we do so, would you work in our hearts to build our faith and trust in you. We're asked in Christ, and I pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 13, 10 through 22. So have you ever struggled with a sin or sins? A sin that possibly you thought you had gained the victory over, and yet you have found it coming back to rear its ugly head. Did you experience shame? Maybe you experienced remorse. Quite possibly nothing at all. This evening our passage brings up things that had gone on in the lives of the people of Israel before. Things that Nehemiah had spoken with them before about certain things. In fact, these are, these are things that have come up in their history. And so Nehemiah, if you remember the story last week, Nehemiah returns from King Artaxerxes. He's been there, um, and he realized that Tobiah, the archenemy of, of Israel, had been given a place in the temple and in the mount. And so we learned that we are not to give sin a home. We're not let it to set up camp in our house. And there, he, uh, Nehemiah kicked out Tobiah. He kicked out this stuff He cleansed the temple and reminded them of who God is. Well, this week we have another such such problem. Let's begin reading in verse 10. So, I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers who had performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them, the Levites, to their post. And all Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, of the wine, of the oil into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and Padiah, the Levite. In addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, and the son of Methaniah, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God 
and its services. Nehemiah returns, and not only was Tobiah in the camp, in the temple, but also there was a problem. And we find that the answer to the problem of what it was, that the house of God was forsaken. You find that in verse 11. So he finds out that the Levites weren't there. They weren't doing their task. But what it, what it resulted in was the house of the God was, was forsaken. Let's back up here. here. Here was the root of the cause. You find out that they had not been giving, the people, not been giving the tithes to the Levites and to the singers. And so what had happened is because they had not received the money that was given to them, they went back to their fields. They had families to take care of. They had uh, responsibilities. They went back to the field, to their homes, and they began to work the land so that they might feed their families. And so in doing that, they were not at the temple at their prescribed times. And so the temple, the, the, the whole, if you think about not just the room of the holy, holies and the holy place, but all around what was taking place of the worship of God, that had been neglected. And this might have contributed to Tobiah setting up home. You know, Elias should be given a space. Maybe there weren't the Levites, enough Levites around who were, not, um, who were brave enough to say, hey, what's going on? But they had gone, and the, the, the problem was the house of God was forsaken, but the root of it was that people had stopped giving tithes. They had stopped giving that which supported the Levites and the singers, those who performed service in the temple. So what was the remedy? Well, the remedy was, of course, that tithing was to be resumed. Tithing was to be resumed, and trustworthy men were set up over that. So you look at and in 13, uh, verse 12, all Judah then brought the tithes of grain and wine and oil into the storehouses. Now, it could have been that the people said, there's no one to take our tithe. We don't know exactly. We can't say all the blames on the people they didn't, be, they didn't give. There probably was a little bit of back and forth on this mutual, uh, mutual sin. Uh, we're going to go home. We're not going to trust people to bring stuff, and people said, we're not going to bring, and those who did bring the tithe, there's no one to take it. So here it is, but the remedy was that tithing was to continue. And he also put reliable men, I love that there, verse 13, on these men, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Not only were they reliable to receive the tithe, but also to distribute it. So they were bringing in what the people had been given, and then those Levites, those who served, and the priests, who served in the temple, were taken care of, as God had prescribed. The house of the Lord would not be forsaken any longer. Well, you say, is that such a problem? Well, you know, it had come up before. Um, Nehemiah 10.39. Can you just turn back there a little bit? Nehemiah 10.39. Okay, this was the document that they had signed. Okay? The document that signed, that said and the, the governors and everybody, all the leaders had signed this. In 1039, it says, For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, the new wine, the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priesthood. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. It had happened before. If you want to go back in, in a prior 100 years and 200 years, it had happened before. The people had stopped giving their tithe to support the house of God. And so it had fallen into, uh, as the Bible says, forsaken. It had been forsaken, fallen, dusty, things had been repaired. We can kind of read and understand what's happening there. 
And then, I'm going to tell the story here of what's going on. Then, Nehemiah gives a prayer in 14. And I just want to read it one more time. We'll come back to the end of of the message. He says, remember me for this, O my God. And it's interesting here, this place, there's several other places in Nehemiah. You almost get an insight of, of opening up a private journal of someone. And here's his prayer. So remember me, O God. Remember me, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. And hang on to the word loyal. We'll understand the connection of that. So, house of God forsaken, the root of it was tithing, the remedy, tithing resumed. They added trustworthy men there, and then his prayer of that. Next, 15. Okay. In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them, and on the day they sold food. Also the men of Tyre were living there. So I have a little number one there from my, my notes in my Bible there. There who were imported the fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Understand, Tyre's on the coast. And so Fishgate, Tyre, they came in the Fishgate. They brought all of the things there to sell. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before Sabbath, I commanded the doors be shut, and they should not be opened opened them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gate so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. I love this, verse 20. Well, once or twice the traders and the merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. And then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath. First, neglecting of tithe, now a new problem. And the second problem or second sin was that the Sabbath was being profaned. Profane is the opposite of set apart or holy or dedicated unto God. The Sabbath now was not set apart for God. Things were happening. Commerce was happening. The root of the problem was that commerce, they were choosing commerce over worship. They were choosing commerce over the worship. And so what was to be holy and set apart unto God now was just another day of commerce. And so he says in 17, why are you profaning the Sabbath day? Why is it that? And the responsibility w- w- lied at the Jews, the feet of the Jews, and also their leaders. Um, understand the concept of supply and demand? If you're not buying it, they're not selling it. Here it was. The, the, the traders were coming, people from Tyre bringing fish, because they were willing to buy on Sabbath. And unfortunately, history was repeating itself. Uh, it says in verse 18, you know, is this what you caused your fathers to receive God's judgment on these things? Amos 8.5. Amos 8.5 is an interesting, interesting verse. Hear this. You who trample the needy, 
who do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market, to make a bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. Amos, they're saying, hey, you know, when will it ever be over? Okay, can't we sell already? You know, stop. And, and notice here the dishonesty. Once you start profaning the Sabbath here, you saw, okay, they're going to cheat dishonest scales. They're going to make the bushel. This is a bushel. Well, it's less than a bushel, but we're going to call it a bushel. We're going to kind of fill in the bottom so it looks really full. But, and they were cheating. So the Jewish vendors here were cheating their own people. And so it started with profaning the Sabbath, not setting it apart, and selling on the Sabbath, and they continued to that. They were cheating. Jeremiah also has a, a very long warning in, in chapter 17, verses 19 through 27. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read most of the passage. Jeremiah 17. So God's speaking to Jeremiah, and he says, Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the public gate through which the kings of Judah come in and go out, as well as in the gates of Jerusalem. Verse 20, Jeremiah 17, And say to them, Listen to the word of the Lord, kings of Judah, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem who come in through these gates. Verse 21, Thus says the Lord, Take heed for yourselves, and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day, or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. You shall not bring a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your forefathers. Yet... They did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their neck in order not to listen or take correction. But it will come about, if you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord, to bring no load in through the gates of the city on Sabbath, but to keep the Sabbath day holy by doing a work in it. Then there will come in through the gates of the city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, and they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. If you obey... The keeping of the Sabbath, the line of David will inhabit this forever. And they could not. Verse 27, But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying a load and coming into the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, I will kindle a fire in his gates and it will devour the palaces of Jerusalem and not be quenched. Hmm. Ouch. A simple thing. A day set apart unto God, the Sabbath day, and a day set apart unto, unto to rest, they were violating. Six days weren't enough. They needed the seventh. And so the remedy, the root there was the commerce over worship. Remedy, Nehemiah, I love him. He says, uh, he shuts the gates, and then he appoints gatekeepers. And look what he does here, and back in Nehemiah as he appoints gatekeepers, um, verse 22, I command the Levites, hey, these are people who worked in the temple. Okay, this is the, the priestly line. Um, the priest came from Levites, but these are other people from, from the line of Levi who, who did work in the temple, not necessarily priests. And he says that they should purify themselves, not for the temple worship, not for temple work, but they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify, to set apart the Sabbath day. So he goes there and he stations guards for that. 
He says, I will use force, and he does so. And then he utters a prayer. We're going to come to the prayer in a second. So you have the Sabbath profaned. The root was commerce. They'd rather commerce over worship. His remedy was pretty, hey, shut the gates, set up gatekeepers, set guards there. And command the Levites to purify themselves for this work because the day was holy unto God. And so you're saying, that's, that's interesting, okay? but we're not in the Sabbath times. We don't worship or set apart Saturday as our day. They're not the same injunctions in the New Testament on how to keep the Lord's Day. In fact, the Lord's Day was the day upon which Jesus rose, the first day of the week. And the early church began to gather. We see that, uh, that pattern of the early church gathering on that first day of the week. And now, and that practice continued. Now, I, I'm putting myself back in the early church. So, in the Jewish context, before they were dispersed, in the Jewish context, so they're worshiping on the first day of the work week. So they're coming together, they're gathering. And I don't know exactly what that looked like. Maybe it was they stopped some of the work and they went to Solomon's portico in the temple before the temple was destroyed, and they met together. I do know they met from house to house. And it does say in Acts, they met in different places. They gathered together to glorify God and to learn of Scripture. There's a lot of instruction going on in those early days because they were taking Scripture, the Old Testament, and showing Christ, how the thread of Christ running through the Old Testament was culminated in His, his death, burial, and resurrection. So they were teaching, especially those who were coming to Christ from a Jewish background. And then as they went into the Gentile context, which may work all the time, I guess, they had to navigate this as a day they would come together and gather as a body of believers. It was the first day, that first day of the week. And so we're not saying that the Sabbath day, we should keep Sunday as the Sabbath, but understand how God gave the Sabbath. It was holy, dedicated to God, and was also for humans to have rest. And so we carry that practice on. We set aside time to gather with God's people and to worship with God's people. And we also sometimes, me, I, I rest on Monday, maybe. Um, but we also, we, we set aside time for some rest and gathering. We encourage people, we have a 430 service, so we encourage people to say, hey, come on over to the house. You know, come on over, let's have dinner together. And there is a great wisdom, and I think it follows the Lord's example on the early church example, too, of setting apart time, of not neglecting the day, and as Hebrews says, not neglecting the gathering together with other believers. It is very important. It is a time of praising, of reading, of studying, of prayer, of koinonia, of fellowship, and encouragement to the saints. God made us to need gathering together. So don't let profit or expediency keep you from gathering with God's people. Let's look at those two verses, and then we'll come back and draw some lessons from it. 14. 14, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, my loyal chesed deeds, the deeds of loyal love that I give to you, God, as an act of worship, which I have performed for the house of my God in services. But in 22, it says, for this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to your to the greatness of your chesed, 
of your loving kindness, your loyal love. And as we peer into uh, the, the private journal of Nehemiah, we see that Nehemiah's courage in taking these actions was based on the fact that uh, of his chesed, of his love for God. And he knew of God's love for him. It wasn't recognition or fame that he, he took such a, a hard stand on these things. But it was because of the loving kindness of God. So in 22b, he pleads for God's compassion, for his loving kindness, the chesed, the loyal love of God. And what an example, as we, as we are in our last wrap-ups of Nehemiah, what an example of a man who lived out his life because of God's love in God's love. Loving God because God had loved him. God's loving kindness had been shown to him. He was faithful and he was true. He was the one dedicated. And as you see these prayers throughout the writing here of Nehemiah, remember me, remember me, O God. He's not saying I want favor, I want a special place and the, the hereafter, he's saying, this is, I am doing this as an act of worship and service for you, God. This is you. I understand your loving kindness. It was a, a great example of his devotion of building the wall and building the city. And with that in mind, what is the focus of the life that God has given you? You know, Nehemiah was called from a very comfortable place, as we have said. And his life radically changed his life was dedicated to God. So what do we learn? How do we take this Old Testament, this passage here, and, and bring out the principles for us today? I think it's pretty important. Number one, lessons we learn is don't neglect to do the things you know are right. Don't neglect to do the things that you know are right. Wasn't that the problem with the children of Israel? God had commanded certain things. He had told, this is how I want you to walk. This is how I want you to live. And over and over, Jeremiah, Amos, uh, pick a prophet in the Old Testament. And they're calling out the people to return, to, to do the things that they know to do is right. But they fought God each time. It was a battle. It, they looked for some other way or some other thing, and they, they wanted to do it to be like the, the, the world around them. They wanted to be, to have commerce. They wanted to do all these things that were not necessarily wrong. In some cases, they were to be prosperous. They were to obey God. But they weren't doing the things that they knew to be right. You know, in our lives, that's, it comes home to us. You know, we have very simply laid out for us God's Word. We're going through our Grow series. We understand what God asks of us. And we understand the God who asks of it, the loving God, the, the loving kindness that He shows to us. And as Romans 12 said, that spiritual service of worship in which we dedicate ourselves, we present ourselves to God. But it means we don't neglect to do the things that we know to do is right. It's funny, God doesn't give us such a hard thing. Um, he doesn't make a guess. You know, here, guess what I want you to do. He's given us His Word. He's given us that to it, uh, this to us. But secondly, follows on the heels, but a little different. Don't return to former sins. When God teaches us a, teaches us a lesson, 
When God, let me put it this way, when God teaches me a lesson, I shouldn't go back to a year or two or six months or a week or a day. I shouldn't go back to that sin that He just convicted me of and that I just confessed and He just forgave me of. Don't go back to former sins. Don't go back. In fact, be diligent. We saw Nehemiah last week, and we'll see him again next week, being very radical and trying to remove sin on those who sinned from the, the congregation of, of Israel. But don't go back to these places. Don't return to former sins. And that's a lesson to us. We need that. We need that. It's, it may be as simple as writing in the, in the, in the, uh, the margins of our Bible God, do not let me do this and pray each day over a passage. I do not want to return there. I don't want to go back to that. It may be as simple as learning biblical passages, whole passages, that remind us of purity. Withal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to uh, your word. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Let me not wander from thy pathways. Don't return to former sins. Don't go back. And the last thing, the third thing I want you to see is each time Nehemiah set up, and I'll call them safeguards. Nehemiah set up safeguards. And this is what I'm, from, from the last point to this one, is those safeguards in the life, may, maybe it is Scripture that you're learning. Maybe it is an accountability partner. Maybe it is Something that you can jog your memory, but to set up a safeguard. Notice both times he had reliable men that were receiving the goods into the storehouses and distributing them out to the priests and the Levites. He sent reliable men to safeguard over what was valuable that was coming in. Okay, he had reliable men in verse, I think it's 22, 23, or 21, where those Levites sanctify, purify yourself to go and do this holy work of a gatekeeper. Hey, not, not holding priestly utensils in the temple, but a gatekeeper that says, it is important to God, in fact, it is a commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, so we will do so. We'll close the gate. We'll set aside that day unto God. And you and I need to learn to set up gatekeepers in our lives. You know, it's, sometimes I think we're embarrassed. Like, I don't want people to know what's, what I'm going, on, going through. I don't want people to know that I'm not as perfect as I want them to think I am. And that goes back to the message this morning, the holy part, or the humble part. Okay? We don't want people to, to know that, so we don't avail ourselves of those who can help us be accountable. An accountability partner is not somebody who beats us on the head. It's someone who says, hey, how you doing? You know, I've been praying for you. Let's get together for coffee or ice cream, pecan roll. Let's get together and let's talk. What, you, what are you learning? You know, if I'm struggling with, with being in God's Word each day, I should grab somebody and say, hey, you know what? I'm having a hard time. Would you text me at 7 o'clock or 6.30 or 5.30 every morning? while you're up, would you text me and help me to remind me to read God's Word? Okay? I don't get up that early. I'm find somebody who does. Okay. Is that simple? And then would you, would you mind if we got together and talked about it? 
In fact, may I be so bold as let's read the same thing together. And what's happening is there, we're setting up safeguards in our life, but we're also, incidentally, developing a relationship with another believer in which we can walk together and grow together in God's Word. It really is the koinonia, the participation in the gospel, participation in the work of God and the learning, the growing process. And suddenly you find progressive sanctification happening in two lives together as we grow together. And there are many other things that you could do, uh, such an idea of accountability partner, so that you could walk together and have that reinforcement. You say, you know what, I'm tempted to anger, so would you, every time you see me, angry or, or steaming or the top coming off, um, would you just kind of make a secret symbol? <laughs> like, no, whatever the symbol is, and not, not, the, not the finger across the neck, but just whatever, hold on my arm. And that may be a brother, a sister, a spouse, a friend. Just put, if you put your hand on my arm, I know that I'm reacting in a wrong way. Doesn't have to be a, don't hold up a sign. <laughs> You're losing your sanctification. You're angry. I got dealt. Just, you know. Simple. And I, I, I say that because so, I want you to be, I want the humor of, to, of it, this to, to, to remind you, but setting up safeguards in your walk with God. Um, when you boil it down to really the essence, though, the Christian life really isn't that complicated. We make it complicated. I make it complicated. It really isn't that complicated. I mean, he boiled down all the Ten Commandments to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart in my New Testament context, I'm going to, I'm going to read his word, I'm going to feed his word, I'm, make, I'm going to become like Christ over time and keep growing. And second commandment, I'm going to love those around me, the body of Christ, and I'm going to love those in my community, in the world, and tell them the gospel. That walk. And sometimes we get down on ourselves. I'm not, I'm not uh, progressing like I want to progress. Get back on your knees. If you fall, pray, ask for forgiveness, and get going again. Don't be so introspective sometimes. I, I'm, I appreciate good introspection where we kind of peer within and we take out our brain and our heart and we inspect it. But sometimes we've got to put it back in and do what we know to do is right. Don't do what we have been doing, the former sins, and then set up safeguards. I've told this example, and you're, some of you are probably bored of it. Um, but I'll do it one more time. Uh, it was my high school. Sometime in the high school. It was the winter. I was helping. Um, my dad thought it was a good idea for me to help a man in our church build a shed uh, attached to our church building. And freezing weather. Okay, it's South Carolina, but it seemed really cold to me. Um, it was on the edge of freezing. And it was just a point of time where, where as a high school guy, just kind of struggling with, with life and all those kind of things. And I watched this brick mason, block mason. He was very good at what he did. All I could do was just kind of stir up the concrete mix and give it to him. He didn't allow me to put anything on because it would have been crooked. But I watched him lay row upon row of block. Very simple, a block room. Row upon row. There, there. And I watched how carefully, how precise he did it. But he was doing it, and before long, a day or two or three, there was a huge block wall. 
20, 30 feet out. I forgot the dimensions. He came back around, and then finally they put a roof on. And as I was struggling with the things that I told guys struggle with and kept, keep bringing every thought captive, I began to, God, use that, the laying of the brick in my heart and life to say, of the block, to say, you know, for Stacy, that's for you, that's Scripture. That's Scripture. When a temptation comes your way, it's Scripture that you put up a block wall. You get the mortar out, you lay that Bible verse, and you, there you put the next one beside it, and you build a wall. And I started learning Scripture because that was what was keeping me from sin. That was what was, it had to do it because I did not want to sin, but I didn't have the strength of my, uh, my own strength to do so. And so I started laying the wall of Scripture between me and a temptation. And after about four or five, six verses, I forgot, what was I tempted with again? Because God was using His Word, and that's exactly how He does it when He puts safeguards in our life, when we put not only people, but more importantly, God's Word in our heart and life. It, It protects us from sin. It protects us from neglecting to do the right things. And it protects us from not returning to, from returning to the former things, the former sins. It safeguards our life. I don't know what it is for you. You can borrow my, my uh, illustration of a block wall or you can build your own wall or, I don't know, bits and bites and whatever it is technical these days. But use Scripture as a wall of defense against Satan because we are too easily going back to our former sins. And we're too easily... Don't do the things that we know to do right. And God has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. It's His Word. It's the Holy Spirit for the believer inside. I want to encourage you. We see a passage here in Nehemiah 13, and we either say one of the two things. We say, won't those people ever learn? Or we say, I'm a lot like those people. (laughs) And I want to encourage you that you have, if you're a follower of Christ, a living, powerful God indwelling. It is by His strength that we live, not our own. We do the things that we know to do are right. And we trust in His great strength. And we walk. And you will grow. You will grow in Christ-likeness. The trajectory will start. You'll bring your thoughts captive. You'll set up safeguards, and you'll grow. I encourage you. That's the power of God in you. He can do it. Just just follow his word. Let's bow for prayer. Oh, God, I pray that we would be like Nehemiah as we live. May we be zealous about you and your holiness. Oh God, may we live our lives as an offering of loyal love for you, to you. An offering because of your great love and your loyal loving kindness to us, your mercy and grace. Because of your sacrifice, Jesus, we have redemption from our sin. We have freedom from the enslavement of sin. And so God, will we live in such a way? Thank you, Christ, for your purchase of us. By your blood, we have redemption from our sin. You've cleansed us. You've placed us in the family of God. 
And so may we live our only life for you. May you be glorified in and through us. May others see Jesus reflected through us. That's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.